Tech fan number seven. My name's Tim Robertson, and I've got David Cohen back. You know what else I got back? My voice. I rock now. No. No, I don't. And welcome to Tech Fan Number Seven. I'm Tim Robertson. He who has a voice this week, thank goodness. And joining me is David Cohen, our regularly, not regularly co-host. <laughs> occasionally regular. That's right. Occasionally regular. You're like brand. That, yeah, that's right. It's not a medical condition. No, though. no, absolutely not. So, um, yeah, I've got a voice back again, David. That's kind of nice. Well, it's good to be able to hear you uh, straight up. You did a sterling job last week, I have to say. Uh, I, I, you know, slog through. Dave or uh, Bill Palmer was a, a good sport for covering for me a lot because what you couldn't hear is how many times I was muting my mic to uh, make disgusting sounds out of my throat. Yeah, yeah, but feeling better now. Excellent. It's That's still not. It's still not a hundred percent though. I don't know if you could tell. But no, it'll, be, it'll be a few weeks before you're back probably, to normal. Probably. You know, one of the things, you forget that you lose your voice. If you haven't been talking for, you know, a half hour, an hour or so, and you go through the drive through of a restaurant, and yeah. you're reminded really quickly when you croak out your order, and they're going, I'm sorry, I can't hear you, sir. And you're like, why did yeah. I go through the drive through I'm a retard. I know, exactly. <laughs> what's, what's worse, actually, is, is, is that in-between time you get where you're – on the way to losing your voice, so you you speaking normally, and then you kind of run out halfway through a sentence. Yes, and and you either say nothing, you, you go, and and here I'm talking, and <laughs> or or alternatively, you you get that high pitched squeaking thing. So you go, yeah. oh yeah, I'd like to, I'd like a burger and fries, please. <laughs> you know, it, I would, and when I was in that uh, that point of losing my voice, I was telling everyone that I finally hit puberty. And uh, a lot of people laughed about it. I was kind of surprised that stupid joke would work, but it yeah. did. So, you know, here we are, uh, tech fan, number seven already. Now, I want to uh, welcome the MyMac.com podcast listeners because tech fan number seven is also going to be in the MyMac RSS feed, which means if you subscribe to the MyMac show, you got an extra podcast to listen to this week called Tech Fan. Now, David, I don't want to assume that everyone listening to this via the MyMac subscription feed, knows who the hell we are. I mean, quite yeah, honestly, probably. it's it's been a long time since you and I hosted that show, so... Um, They're probably thinking, this doesn't sound like Guy and Gaz, even though the accents are the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the same dynamic, but yeah, a little bit different. So, uh, a very brief history. I started the MyMac podcast in 2004. I hosted it with Chad Perry for a number of years, then Guy and um, David Cohen became co-hosts, and then I left the show to do OWC Radio. David continued for a while with Guy Searle, and then you left, Guy, uh, David. That's right. The Cocoa Wars have got nothing on us. No, absolutely not. And then uh, Gaz took over for David, and yep. I, I got to say, quite honestly, I'm really enjoying the MyMac podcast now. I really am. They've, yeah, it took a while for them to kind of find a find a tone for it but i think they're, they're completely utterly there now they are um, i love listening it's a very to yeah it's a, it's a very quirky show and it works though i i love yeah. that aspect of the show 
And, you yeah. know, a, a lot of people, I still get emails saying, why didn't you go back to the MyMac podcast after you left OWC Radio? And quite honestly, my schedule is crazy. I didn't want to interrupt what I saw as a really good thing, what Guy and Gaz is doing, uh, the yeah. G-Men. I didn't want to interrupt that. So rather than right. disrupt what they're doing, I'll just start another show. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is it's easier for us to work around different schedules and uh, have people on different times of the week doing right. this. And you and I have that flexibility. So we yeah. could do stuff like this. And hopefully it'll be more, uh, uh, you know, you're going to be on more often. I think the last one you were on was, what, number three? Uh, yeah, it was, it was a few weeks ago. Yeah, you were um, on one, three, and now seven. Yeah, I've had some stuff going on, unfortunately, which is, uh, you know, real life has imposed, as, as it's wont to do from time to time. That was, I mean, that, that was why I had stopped doing my Mac in the first place. Right. So uh, I'm glad, glad for the opportunity to keep talking with you. Well, you know, we're not going anywhere, so anytime you can do it, great. If you can't, I understand. Of course, you know, we'll, we'll keep that private on what's going on. But, <laughs> yes. yeah, you know, you're, you've always got a home here, David. Cool. So enough the enough of the uh, patting each other on the back. Let's talk about mobile phones for a minute. Did you see that sure. worldwide, Apple passed RIM for the first time? Yeah, yeah it's interesting. I've, I've, we've been looking at this fairly closely in work because we're looking at, at revising our own mobile data strategy, and uh, we've kind of tweaked our contracts. We we have been a BlackBerry house. Um, and we've tweaked our contracts so that we can buy more iPhones uh, at, at, without without taking a financial hit. Um, and uh, there's quite a pent-up demand within the company of around 250 users um, to switch from BlackBerry to iPhone. So we're just figuring out the best way of doing that. So those numbers didn't really surprise me. And what, what really does surprise me is that RIM has been so poor at developing what the you know the massive market base they had and and kind of competing with not just the iphone but but with android and now there's a new windows uh, mobile 7 kind of rim seems stuck in a technological backwater yes but you know they're only they're measuring this by mobile phones not breaking it out by cheapies and smartphones because if you look at it nokia is number one with 32.4 percent of the worldwide market well name what nokia's smartphone is you can't. It's it's pretty much yeah. non-existent. It's all these yeah. little cheap nine ninety five phones that you can get at, you know, stereo shops and Seven Elevens and McDonald's probably at this point. Uh, Samsung. Now they've got a few, but let's be honest, they're selling more cheapy phones than smartphones. LG Electronics. Well, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? I, I, well, no, they're, they they're, they're big. L, LG are big in the Far East. Yes. you know that that's their that's their dominant market. They're not. They're not. They do have phones in the states and the UK and and you know in Europe, but but they're predominantly a Far East manufacturer, and, and that's their biggest market. Yep. Then Apple and RIM. Well, Apple has four point one. RIM has three point six. But you the know, th- the RIM's thing- on the way down. Apple's on the way up. So I mean, if yeah, I was the- a betting guy, <laughs> the problem with the Going back to kind of the point I was trying to make, the problem with RIM is they were, you know, they were first to get... What, what Apple's done with the iPhone is they've... Um, I was thinking about this the other night. We were, I was in the pub with my, my father. We were, we were at a quiz. We were commenting on the fact that um, a lot of people in the quiz were cheating by using their iPhones. <laughs> and, um, but the thing is, that, that kind of got me thinking. You know, the iPhone is a, it's a real breakthrough device because it's put a powerful 
network connected computer into the hands of people who ordinarily would never have bought anything like that. That's right. These are people who two, three years ago, five years ago, they would have had a Nokia smartphone or a Nokia um, a simple phone or a Nokia messaging phone or a BlackBerry. And now they've got all iPhones. I mean, by, by far and away, the iPhone was the dominant, just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sampling, but you know, it's as good as anything else. It probably forced people in the room and room and at least 20, at least 50% of them had an iPhone in their hand that I saw. So, that's a huge take-up of a, of a device that gives a functionality that in previously was, was literally was in the domain of the geek. Now, RIM had that same kind of breakthrough success in that they took something that was an email phone uh, that made email very, very easy, and they put it in the hands of business people who weren't particularly interested in dealing with email clients, and it was a huge success. And instead of capitalizing on that when the iPhone came along, they just seemed to have set sat back on their heels and let uh, Apple and also Android kind of eat their lunch in the market. They did. And I, I, don't under, I don't understand why they've done that. You think it's just, I don't know. What, what, if you were there's there, no, I mean... There's no technical limitation. I mean, the, the, the big strength of BlackBerry is their architecture. The fact that, I mean, the, the problems they've had with, with India and Saudi Arabia in the last few months is pr precisely because their architecture is so secure that even they can't give foreign governments access to it. So their architecture is fundamentally very strong, very secure, and it's a real asset for them because it allows their devices to be used in government. Uh, you know, I mean, Barack Obama has a BlackBerry. Um, all, the, all the Senate has BlackBerrys. You know, they're huge on, on, in Washington. They're huge in, in the UK um, in terms of, of government presence. So, so that security is a real asset to them. But what, it, what it, they've never done is they've never enhanced their functionality outside of their core email and messaging platforms. And, and the problem is, is that that technical architecture can be done just as well in software on an iPhone or on an Android device or on a Windows mobile device or anything else. In fact, there's a company called Good Technology who do precisely that. They actually invented the original architecture. They sell it as a piece of software. Yep. So in terms of the messaging platform, there's nothing special about BlackBerry. So consequently, if they want to compete with Android and with iPhone and with all the other smartphones, they have to do it on a level footing. And instead, they've... You know, they've kind of played around with different form facts and different types of devices, none of which have been particularly successful. And I'm, now I'm seeing in my own business a position where users who've loved BlackBerry for a long time are saying, well, actually, I want to move away from it. I want to move to an iPhone because I want the other things that iPhone can do that the BlackBerry doesn't do well. Or at all. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, the latest ones will play video, they will play audio, um, they will browse the internet much better than they've done before, but they just do all of these things poorly compared to an iPhone. It's because the iPhone, I think, was built around software first. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, your your interaction with the phone, really, other than physically holding it and pushing a few buttons, is software-related. And yeah. I don't think LG or Nokia or even RIM, for that matter, really gets that. I don't think no. they really do. Now, so. now, what 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 BlackBerry could do? I don't I don't see them doing this. But if I was in their position, what I would do is I would consider doing what Good do and and offering the BlackBerry service as a piece of software for these other devices. Yeah, you know? but that's kind of throwing in the towel. I don't think they're quite there. Well, yet. It's, uh, well, it's not throwing in the towel. A big part of their income will be licensing for the BlackBerry Enterprise servers that businesses have to run in order to be able to do corporate email. 
So effectively, you would retain that license, that software license business. You just will be giving up on the hardware sales. So you're looking at a BlackBerry suite that you can buy for your Android or iPhone. Exactly, and, and would offer this, would offer exactly the same functionality you have with the BlackBerry, including the full security and everything else. Would work with your existing BlackBerry Enterprise server that most businesses have deployed in their server room, um, but it would allow people to use a non-BlackBerry device. Hmm. And it would definitely um, keep them viable. That's for sure. Absolutely. Now, you know, if if that's if that's a move they will want to make, they would probably start thinking about it now before um, before they get left too far behind. Yeah. But but I don't I don't think they will do that. I suspect if you look at what they're doing with the playbook, their strategy is to continue to develop hardware devices uh, around their uh, around their offering. And I suspect that you know who knows how the market will pan out. But if I, unless they're very skillful and also a little bit lucky, I, they may go the way of Palm. Well, you know, you you think of cell phones, and most people think of the hardware, but it's really software now. The last big thing in cell phones that happened that was purely hardware-based was the Motorola uh, Razor. That was the last big seller that sold well simply because of the way the phone physically looked. Because yeah. the OS just was crappy on it. Everybody knows that. It was just horrible. Took horrible pictures. It was a pain to navigate. You couldn't really browse the net. I mean, it was just a piece of crap. Um, that thing was wildly popular. I mean, it sold millions and millions and millions. Yeah. And, and then the iPhone know, came out. That's right. And the sad thing about the Razer is it was a lovely piece of hardware. It was horrible to use. Yep. My, I bought one for my wife, and, and after she, she loved it when I first got it for her, and after two months, she said, I can't use this piece of crap anymore. Yep. It's so difficult to use. So, uh, and that was always a problem with Motorola phones. And I, now, I think they're th- still there, though. I think Motorola yeah. still – they're looking at the success that they had with the Razer, and they're trying to duplicate that simply by throwing Android on crap now, thinking that's the yeah. answer. Yeah. Now, here's a thought. You were talking last week with Bill about acquisitions yep. for Apple. Now, if Apple were to buy RIM... Why? Why? To do exactly what I just said, to buy the um, access to the BES, the, the BlackBerry Enterprise Server customers, and effectively deploy... It would, it would, uh, the problem at the moment with iPhone is that a lot of corporate, head, big corporate finance directors and CEOs and everything, they like the Apple platform, they appreciate their users like the Apple platform, they just think it's not really mature enough for business. Now, that would buy them into the business market at a stroke uh-huh. by taking BlackBerry's mailing uh, messaging client and effectively turning it into an iPhone software service. Uh, yeah, but you know, I don't, I don't see Apple ever doing that. No, I, I, I don't think anybody can see exactly what Apple's going to do with that war chest. They keep on saying that they're going to spend it one day, and they've got an idea what they're going to do with it. But I don't think anybody's really got any idea no. what that, what that acquisition is going to be. You know, and I know Guy and Gaz, since we're here as well on the MyMac podcast feed, um, they had talked about possible acquisitions. They talked about Sony, which makes no sense. And plus, the Japanese government would never allow that to happen. Mm. Um, they talked about who else? Um, I can't even remember who else they, they mentioned so, in there. They, they talked about Adobe? Yes, Adobe. That was the other one. Yeah. Mm. And Guy brought up, you know, antitrust and all that. They, there would be no antitrust. There's There would be no problem with the FCC or anybody else, or the FCC. The... Uh, Federal Trade Commission allowing Apple to buy Adobe. There would be 
no issue there, but I don't think Apple wants Adobe. I think they kind no. of view Adobe software as a thing of the past. And yes, I am including Photoshop and InDesign and uh, Dreamweaver and Illustrator. I think Apple sees that as the past. I don't think they see a they, huge future for those softwares going forward in another 10 uh, years. Yeah, Apple's strategy has always been about building software to improve the user experience uh, and consequently then to sell <laughs> hardware products. Yep. Um, now, I would say they, if you look at the software suite they have now, do they need to have Photoshop with nope. an Apple badge on it in order to do that? Nope. No, because you know what? You go in every Apple store and Photoshop's running on the Macs anyway. Yep. So, you know, it's already selling um, the Mac for them without them having to pay to, to research and develop it. That's right. You know, so the only, the only time I would see um, Apple snatching up Adobe is if Adobe is on the brink of going out of business. Because I, I, think, I think Apple values Adobe's presence in the market, but um, I don't see them buying them unless they were really, really cheap. Yeah, and they'd have to be really cheap for Apple to even bother. Because uh, there, yeah. there's a lot of contention between those two companies right now. Well, you, you know, if you acquire them, you can sort them out because you can strip away the people who cause the contention. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but it, yeah. I think the people that are there would really have a hard time working with Apple. I think they would do everything in their power to, to try to put the kibosh on a buyout like that. Well, they, they probably would do. And you know what? I don't think Apple would care because the sort of money they have in the bank, they can afford to buy at, at Adobe, strip out everything they want and throw the rest away. I hold to my contention that Apple wants a, a wireless company. They want soup to nuts they want software hardware network yeah i i can understand what you were saying with that i was listening to to what your discussion with bill about that last week i think but i do have some sympathy for bill's point saying that that actually all of that would be would be too too big too much too big too quick for them to take on a massive business like that and actually be able to turn it into what what they want it to be, which is a you know a much better user experience. Um, I'm not sure whether whether that would be you know just leaping a bit too far too soon. But but who as I said as I said before, who who on earth knows? Who knows the mind of Steve Jobs? If we all could figure out what the guy was thinking, then we'd all be doing his job and we wouldn't need it. <laughs> or or we would have bought stock a while ago and been rich at this uh, point. You know, I was listening to the stock prices um, and I was thinking, why on earth? When the when the price tanked during the credit crunch down to about ninety eighty dollars, why didn't I buy some? Because it's now up at three hundred fifteen three hundred sixteen dollars. You know that was the first yep. opportunity in a while to actually get the stuff cheap. Why didn't we all jump in? Well, I could have jumped in a long time ago. And <laughs> I remember when it was like eighteen bucks a share. I seriously yeah. thought about buying. I was going through a financial crunch myself. Uh, but I remember telling people, if, if I had the money right now, I'd be putting a lot of money into Apple stock. And they're like, Apple, yeah. you're crazy. They're going to be dead in a couple of years. And uh, it's split a few times since then. And whew, I'd have some money right now. We, yeah. Of course, we wouldn't be talking right now. I'd be on a yacht somewhere or something. <laughs> Let's stay in the Apple universe for a little bit longer, David. Uh, they had the back to Mac, uh, but it's like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago at this yeah. point. Mm-hmm. I finally got the new iLife 11. I know a lot of people are having problems when it comes to upgrading from 9 to 11 when it comes to iPhoto. So if you haven't done that yet, people, I would suggest hold off a little bit. I guess there are some issues, and Apple has a fix coming. Uh, I didn't have any issues at all. Did you uh, Did you get iLife 11 yet? 
I've I've not done it yet. Um, I've not really had the time um, to to do that. But I, I mean, I would I would not just throw it on top of my existing iPhoto library and hope it all works out. Um, I wouldn't do that even if there'd been no complaints. Uh, I would always start with a fresh library. Just you know, you're starting. I always think when you when you migrate one code base to a newer code base, you're always going to get some rubbish left around, you know, the kind of dust on the on the edges of the shelves. So what do you do? You bring in the old stuff to the new stuff? Yeah, what I would what I would do is I mean I'm I'm not huge I don't have a huge amount of iPhoto pictures that I, I tend to use Aperture for more of my um mm-hmm. my photo organization. So it's not so much of a big deal for me. But I would start with an empty library and import rather than um yeah, just kind the of the problem throw with it that is you lose your albums, you lose your I mean it, it I've got a lot of albums. I've got a lot of comments. I've rated some pictures at this point. Um, yeah, that would yeah, be the, a huge the, the, problem with me. There, I mean, you you could always start the new library and 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 also you know convert the old one as well while still keeping a backup. I mean, there's various ways of doing it. Yeah, but I, I'm I'm always more comfortable um, if I can. Um, going to a fresh install and then kind of building it up again rather than necessarily my uh, you know. Um, Overrunning in place, so um, so that's that's probably the approach I'll take when I do do it. The iMovie is kind of interesting. I played with it a little bit. I pretty much gave up on the newer version of iMovie and went to Final Cut Pro myself. Um, yeah. But it nonetheless, it is kind of interesting. I think I played with it for maybe twenty minutes. I finally went, "Ugh, I'm done with it." But it's kind of did neat. you turn did you turn the timeline back on the way it used to be? Uh, no, I haven't figured out how right, to do so- that. So that's one of the things you can do with this one now. And I think this is the thing that's really going to bring people who, like yourself who've moved away from it back is the fact there's a mode you can turn on where effectively the the kind of the the graphical movie bar they have at the moment, which just is one big block, turns into a conventional single linear timeline again. And that's much more comfortable for those of us who've, who are used to moving uh, editing movies and iMovie 06. The problem is I moved to uh, Final Cut Pro. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, so, you know, that's kind of... Uh, I mean, once you've, you've ridden a motorcycle, it's really yeah. hard to go back to a tricycle, you know? That's, that's, that's exactly it. You're, <laughs> you just can't do it easily. You're kind of racing Formula One now, aren't you? Yes. Rather than stock cars. Exactly. And it's like, <laughs> uh... But that being said, though, there are some neat little features, uh, not to do professional work in, but... This little movie trailers thing, that looks kind of cute. I want to do that for a couple of the kids, you know? Um, maybe make a, a movie trailer for each one of them. I think they would enjoy yeah. that. But that yeah. would probably be the extent of my iMovie endeavors. It's, there's just really nothing there for me at a professional level to use. Let me tell you that. Yeah, when I was watching the Apple presentation, uh, I saw those full-screen views that they were using in, in iMovie and iPhoto, which you know looked very much like an iPad application. Yep. And I was desperately hoping one of the one more things would be, oh, and by the way, all of these things we've shown you aren't running on a Mac. They're running on an iPad, and we'll have these apps <laughs> in the store this afternoon. Yeah. I still hope that happens one day because being able to do iMovie and iPhoto on the iPad rather than on the Mac would be amazing. Mm, I think eventually it'll happen, but not anytime soon. No. No. So one of the other, well, you know what, before we, uh, let, let's stay with Apple a little bit longer before we take our, our uh, little break here. And yep. that is the new MacBook Air. Uh, yeah. Sam Levin is actually coming in uh, Tuesday of this coming week. I've got to pick him up. No, Tuesday or Wednesday. I forgot. i got to look at my iCal. Uh, coming in, flying into Midway in Chicago. Uh, not O'Hare, yeah. thank goodness. 
So I'm going to go pick him up, and he's got an 11-inch MacBook Air he's going to uh, let me borrow to do a review on it for my Mac. And I'm quite looking forward to it, to be honest. Now, professionally and personally, I have absolutely no need for an 11-inch computer. I mean, if I need something that small, I'll just use my iPad. And if I need a laptop computer, I've got a 15-inch MacBook Pro. I there there's nowhere that this fits in my lifestyle at all. Nowhere. That the, being the said, one. no, not really. I mean, I kind of do. I might more after I get to touch it and hold it for a little bit. Yeah, you haven't actually seen one in person. No, yet. not yet. Right. Let me tell you. I I went into the Apple Store last week and had a look at one. And as soon as I got a look at this thing, I, I mean, they the techno lust just kind of went off the chart. <laughs> it is so so cool. It looks. I mean, it cool. really is. Yeah, an amazing piece of technology because it's it's a sub notebook computer with no compromises. Not not real compromises that matter. The screen is as good as my 13-inch MacBook Pro. The keyboard is as good as my 13-inch MacBook Pro, and yet the thing is tiny. It's so fast because of the SSD. Um, and like like you, I've got a, I mean I've got a 13-inch MacBook Pro and I have an iPad. I also have a, a Windows Ultra Portable that work gave me recently because they've just changed their computers. So I really can't justify buying one. But that doesn't mean that I didn't want to buy one. And if I had the money sat in a bank account somewhere, I would have one tomorrow. Um, they really are very very cool. Hmm. And I did you know I seriously thought thought to myself you know could I maybe, you know, sell the MacBook Pro and have this instead. And I just thought, you know, the problem is I, I don't use the MacBook Pro very much anymore since I got the iPad, and I can't really justify the, the change-up. Yeah. Um, I did, did kind of uh, console myself by putting an SSD in the MacBook Pro instead so I, you actually get... Because I'm, I'm I, I think very strongly that once other computer manufacturers see what Apple have done with these, this is the first time you've seen an SSD-only computer sold for a reasonable price. Um, and and that, that's, you know, that's a standard stock model. That's not an optional extra. Right. I think you'll see hard drives start to fade, fade away. And the price of the SSDs start to drop as more, more um, companies start buying them. Because, it, I mean, it really does sell, it, sell itself. It's so fast. Yep. But there has you to know. be a tipping point. You have to. Yeah. It has to be a combination of size and price. Yeah, I mean that's what it is right there. And and I, I think I think probably what you'll see is is something similar to a, a product that that you've talked about in the past on the OWC radio, which is you know a, a small SSD as a boot drive and then uh, replacing a, a, an optical drive in your machine with a conventional hard drive for data storage. I think that's the that way, way to go. You, yeah, and and that's 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 what I've done in my machine. Um, and um, you know that's that's a very smart way, to do it. and and I think other manufacturers who want to hit more aggressive price points than Apple will do exactly that. Well, they'll put a thirty-two or a sixty-four gig SSD in as a boot drive, and then they'll have a conventional drive as a data drive uh, as well. But um, you know, it, the, the performance benefits it gives you are just really just speak for themselves. Because normally you see th- an eleven-inch MacBook Pro um, MacBook Air, you would see a machine that small, and you think that's going to be really slow, and because of the SSD, it isn't. It just feels incredibly fast. Okay, I, I was waiting for you to breathe there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you were on a roll. As, no, as I, I was enjoying as it. As I said, as I said, the techno lust is really, really kind of going. It sounds there. like it. You know, you were talking so, about yeah. OWC Radio, um, yeah. And I mentioned this uh, a, a couple episodes back. They continued it after I left. It's more of a team effort now. They've had two episodes. I got to say, I'm enjoying it now. I don't know if that's because I know every single person on the show. And I can literally picture them doing it. 
but uh, I'm I'm really glad that they continue that show. You know, something that I created yeah. and and it's going onward without me. That's really cool. Um, Absolutely. Same thing Absolutely. with the MyMac podcast. I created that show and it's going on without me. But so. now, now that now that you don't work for OWC, I can share something with you, which I, I found out when I came to uh, this little project with my SSD and my MacBook Go Pro. For it. You were you were talking about the data doubler, yep, which is the um, kind of the the chassis that that fits in your optical drive bay, correct? Um, as you mount your drive in. Now the data doubler goes for about seventy eighty dollars, something like that. Yeah, um, you can buy a similar device on eBay from somebody in China. For about fifteen dollars. Oh yeah, I'm not so surprised about that at all. If you're looking, to, if you're looking to do it on the cheap, um, or you're looking to kind of mess around with it, and you don't really want to drop seventy dollars on a day doubler, then you might want to look into uh, into that route as well. Is that how you got it? Is that what you did? Uh, well, the, yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting for that device to arrive, so uh, I'll, I'll share my experiences in the next couple of weeks once it actually comes in. But I mean, it, it's it's fairly simple. It's a plastic chassis with a electrical SATA connection on it, so I don't I don't see it being particularly risky. No, doesn't sound like it. Let's take a quick break. I've got an ad to play here because, remember, um, TechFan is part of the MyMac family of podcasts, which include the MyMac podcast, TechFan. Uh, geekiest show ever, when Chad and I get a chance to get back to recording that show, we're, quite honestly, a long ways from uh, doing it. And it's, you know, it happens sometimes. Real life gets in the way. But Chad and I definitely haven't quit uh, Geekiest show ever. We just haven't had the opportunity to get together for an hour or two to record a show. Uh, but the uh, fourth show that we've got out there is called App Minute. Hey there, tech fan audience. Sam Levin here with AppMinute.com. you got to check out AppMinute.com for the latest and greatest news, information, entertainment, surrounding apps. That means anything iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, Android, applications, productivity, entertainment, and actually we talk about peripherals too because they connect to those things. We are into cases. Are you into cases and things like that? Bling out your iPhone. We've got you covered. Check it out. We do a show a couple times a week. It's an audio show, and the best part is that it's completely and entirely done using an iPhone. So the entire show is done using an iPhone. Isn't that cool? So check it out today. I think you'll love it. It's called AppMinute.com. Thanks a lot, and have a great day. All right, so I put this kind of uh, little goofy boink, 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 behind Sam talking there. Yeah, I heard, I heard it. <laughs> Could you hear that? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the uh, App Minute podcast. Actually, that ad was um, about as long as an average episode that Sam's producing and they're quite popular. People are really starting to uh, dig listening to the App Minute podcast. Website's starting to get some attention. And so check it out. It's appminute.com. So, David, on the other big story I want to talk about, and I thought this was uh, kind of a bellwether for the tech industry, I think, um, going forward and looking back, Microsoft came out with some numbers. Yeah. Uh, they had a record quarter. Made a ton of money. Windows and Windows Live, they made $3.32 billion. Business, which is Office, 3.39. Uh, yeah. Does that include the servers, business as well? All their server yeah. hardware, yes. server software, yeah? Yes, yeah, business related. Off- yeah, okay. So that was $3.39 billion. And then entertainment and devices was $382 million. 
Yeah, it's not terribly impressive, that, is it? Yeah, that's the Xbox, that's the, well, the phone. Yeah, the I mean, the phone's brand new, so I, you wouldn't expect to see the, any evidence of the phone's impact in those numbers. This but is a, they've the, had mobile market before. They've never done anything in that market. Yeah, uh, and uh, but the difficulty they have is that they've thrown so much money into Xbox. Um, and, you, I mean, you and I both love our Xboxes. Sure, absolutely. Um, but, you know, they've had to spend a lot of money on re-engineering because the Xboxes were faulty for many years. They've had to spend a lot of money on replacing Xboxes under warranty. It's been 10 um, years, though, man. Yeah, well, you know, they've sometimes it takes them that long to get it right. I think they're actually at the point where it is kind of right now. Um, what's interesting is to put those numbers into some context, not as unimpressive as they are. Um, if you look at look at how other players in the market are doing, I mean, Nintendo, who've been leading for many, many months now, are really kind of taking it in the shorts at the moment. They are a um, combination of the fall off in demand for the Wii together with the uh, with the the kind of the currency situation with the yen. They they've just announced their first loss in about fifteen years. So. Um, Maybe the whole market's going through a little bit of flux at the moment. I don't know. But certainly, I mean, it's going to be a long time at, at that rate before the entertainment division is making the same sort of money as, um, as here, Windows or Office. Here, here's the problem, though. The rev cycle on game consoles, doesn't it, it never stops. So while they're starting to make money on the 360, you have to assume that Microsoft is already building the replacement to the 360. Uh, they they are undoubtedly working on it, but whether they're actually going to bring anything to market, I don't think so. I think both themselves and Sony, who spent an absolute fortune bringing the PlayStation Three, I think if you look at what they've done with PS3 Move is Connect, not going to be removed or is not going to be updated for a long time. No, You're not but I don't see a PS4 think, until at the most 2017, 2018. I don't think you'll see you'll see the Xbox updated either, um, for the for the simple I think reason you will. that. I, I, I just don't see it because what can they do with that sort of device? They can improve the graphics, but it's already at the point you can barely tell the difference between the graphics anywhere on an HD system. So um, the th- if, while the thing is continuing to perform and, and being capable of playing the games that developers want to write today, is there any, um, uh, particularly with the sunk cost that Microsoft have got in the platform, is there any mileage in them bringing out a new one? I don't think there is. And I, I suspect that you'll see the, the Xbox 360 can be around for an awful long time yet. We'll see. Um, I think we're the, the beneficiaries of it regardless, either way. We are, but the problem is is that um, it, Microsoft's, uh, it, they have a little bit of a risk because those, um, those other big markets that are propping them up, the $6 billion markets, uh, of of Windows desktop and then and then the Office products, those are things that might not necessarily stay like that in the long term. The you know we're seeing a, a change in computing at the moment with the uh, for, it started with the netbooks, where all of a sudden people start saying no we don't want just faster computers we want cheaper more effective more portable computers. Um, it's now um, it's now come along with the iPad where people are saying we want simpler, more appliance-like devices. Apple have just announced that they're going to bring a, an application source to the Mac as well. So clearly, there's a move towards simplica- simplification, more packaged products, more e- easy-to-use products, um, kind of much more emphasis on the user experience, which is not something where Microsoft traditionally does well. So, you know, that could see some real shrinkage in the desktop space, which is going to affect them with both Windows and Microsoft Office sales. 
uh, and that leaves them then only with the server space. And, and is the server space enough to keep the whole company going? Can they, can they afford for the uh, $3 billion quarter to contract or $1 billion quarter in each of those two areas? I mean, those are sort of potential numbers that could happen in the long term. Absolutely. And how do they respond to that? They have the problem they've got, and this is where Apple have been strong, is that Apple have diversified themselves. Yes. They've, they've gone from being a computer company to being an entertainment company to being a music company to being a, uh, you know, a consumer electronics company. In the meantime, Microsoft has pretty much considered to do the same thing they've always done. Um, and the thing where they have tried to branch out into gaming, it's not still, after 10 years' effort, not making them a lot of money. So they're really kind of... Um, they have, despite the fact they're making huge amounts of money every quarter, they've still got a vulnerability there, which is the, the narrow breadth of their offering. And, and if I were in Microsoft at the senior levels, I would be a little bit concerned about that and wanting to address it. Well, you know, when um, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, I know his first name was Ozzy. Ray Ozzy. Uh, yes. Left Microsoft just recently. Yeah. He had this very long, very rambling, almost incoherent sum of it letter to the company that he left but basically he said in short uh the gravy train's ending yeah that the way we did business and how we made a lot of money before it's it's not going to be there uh and we need to adapt and change and i don't know if microsoft's really capable of that the difficulty they have is that um they have a they actually have a fairly good suite you know they're, they're early days but fairly good suite of cloud products um, you know, and and the problem is those cloud products have changed an awful lot over the lifetime of those products, which means it's very difficult to understand exactly what they are. I mean, I, I talked to Microsoft rep um, a couple of weeks ago at a virtualization trade show, and he said, "Oh, have you heard of Microsoft Azure, and I, which is their, one of their cloud services?" And I said, "Yes, I have, but I don't really know what it is." Yeah. Um, and that's that's a fundamental problem for them. The difficulty they have is that any time they try to do something innovative in Microsoft, to, that, that affects either the desktop operating system or the servers or or Office, then immediately the people who run those teams go, "Go, hang on a minute. This might this might affect our cash cow," and they fight it. Consequently, Microsoft is constantly at war within itself to try and get um, a coherent product offering going. Um, and that's a real problem for them because if those cash cows start to die and they've not been allowed to innovate their way into something else, then they're really going to be in the, uh, over the coals. Well, you know, it's funny. You look at uh, what should have been the big news for Mac users this week was Microsoft Office 2011 was just released. Or is it 2012? 2011. Yeah, 2011. Yeah. Uh, was just released. And, you know, as as a CEO of a company that specializes in Macs, you know, I'm personally put all the display stuff out in the stores. Mm-hmm. And I haven't had one person look at it. I've been following the Mac news sites. Uh, that Most of them mentioned that it was available. But that was it. It's just been quiet. Like it didn't even matter that the new version of Office was just released. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, that that they're going to sell a lot of copies of Mac Office in the um in Education. the educational sector yep. uh, and also, you know, increasingly in the business sector as well. They are Macs are starting to penetrate into business now and anybody who buys a Mac in an office will undoubtedly buy the office version of um uh, the the 
the, Mac, the uh, Office for Mac 2011, particularly as it has an improved uh, email client for Exchange. So, so they will they will get some sales there. I don't, I just don't see it as being something that consumers are going to buy. Um, I think an awful lot of people who buy Macs who are just regular, non-technical computer consumers, they, they're going to buy it and they're probably going to buy iWork if they need to do word processing because they're probably going to feel more comfortable having all Apple software on the computer. Hmm. You know, Interesting. Uh, and, and really, if you've got, if I, I've got Office 2008. I've had a quick look at the trial version of Office 2011. Um, you know, it doesn't jump out of you as, as being radically different. Um, so I'm sure there's plenty of improvements under there. Another thing as well, I think, is that anybody who, who did get into Office 2008 got really burned the first 18 months of that. It was horrible, yep. horribly buggy. Um, and, uh, you know, if I've already heard a couple of reviewers say that they found some bugs in 2011. You know, if it's going to take 18 months for the product to stabilize to the point you can use it properly, then that's not really going to drive the sales very strongly. Well, I've got some inside information that I can't really say where I got it from, but there are some major problems with the new version, especially in Entourage uh, right. on an Outlook. Um, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, and, and funny Exchange enough, I mean, is, is working if you're starting from scratch. But if you are going from, say, uh, a 2004, that, which was upgraded to 2008, which yeah. is now upgraded to 2011, it's not working. And well, that's that, going to be a lot yeah. of people. And the first thing I did when I actually put um, Office 2011 trial onto my Mac was actually try and configure Outlook because that is the new program. <laughs> yeah. Out, it's 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 meant to work just the same way that Outlook does on Windows, whereas Entourage never really did. It kind of simulated it, but it never really worked the same way. That's right. Uh, and it wouldn't connect. It wouldn't connect to our Exchange server. I know. <laughs> you know, and 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 I'm thinking, well, what's what's and, a good, and typical Microsoft. I've saw somebody about this uh, just this afternoon. This this afternoon, actually, typical Microsoft. It just doesn't work. It doesn't tell you why it's not working. It doesn't even tell you that it's not working, apart from the fact you can't see an email. It just doesn't work. And then it's a case of, well, you need to put put your technical geek on to try and figure out what might be going on. And that's exactly not what you want. It's crazy. People nowadays, they want software. If it doesn't work, they want it to tell them that it doesn't work, and it wants to tell them what they need to do to make it work. And Microsoft software, whether it be on Windows or the Mac, never does that. Never does. Nope, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't you're work. Left or, or to scratch it, your head. Yeah, or it gives you some obscure error, and then you've got to go trying to Google the thing, trying to figure out what's going on, and um, that is that is just not not good enough nowadays. You know, with the new job, um, I see some of the machines that we get coming in for repair, and yeah. I've known forever that Mac users are a passionate bunch, but you would not believe some of the stuff that I have seen come in for repair. That's going to cost, you know, a couple hundred dollars. And you think, why would you ever sink that kind of money into a G4 tower? Why? Mm. Or an old iBook that's going to cost $350 to repair. It's like, don't, why? (laughs) You you can get something better than this for less than this on eBay for for God's sakes. But But, people like to hold on to stuff. They they don't want to give it up. They do, and also that I think they appreciate the value in things that last for a long time. You know, they, a lot of Apple computers are not really treated like commodities to be thrown away when you've had enough with them. They are, they do become kind of a part of your life, and I think people are very much loath to give them up. Well, I can um, tell you that's a fact. 
Um, of course, right. there are s- situations that somebody has a print shop. They've got an older printer and an older rip. Unfortunately, the rip runs on a G on, on OS nine, and you mm-hmm. have to have a physical dongle on it. And the company that makes the rip is no longer even in business, so they have to keep this thing running. I mean, it's money, yeah. and yeah. if it goes down, there's money they're not making. So they have to spend the money on these older machines. That I can understand. That's business. But, whew, some of these machines that come in. In fact, well, we got a call. Somebody wanted to know if we could work on a Performa. <laughs> we were like, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, is it, it's interesting, really, particularly with those very, very old, the, all, the, all the vintage computers. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of Mac. On my desk here at work, I have an awful lot of Mac equipment. I've got 23-inch cinema display. I've got a, you know, I've got a 4Mac, um, you know, which is styled like the old cinema displays. I've got a G5 tower on the desk. You know, there's an awful lot of kind of Mac stuff going on, and everyone knows that I'm the Mac guy. But a couple of weeks ago, I bought a, um, a Classic 2 and stuck that on the corner of my desk. <laughs> um, still works. Oh, yeah. You know, I've got Word 5.1a on there. Actually, um, you know what? Uh, all joking aside, Word 5.1 was one of the best word processors ever. I'm not joking. So, yeah, it so was I was awesome. Yeah, so I was led to believe, and that's why I made sure I got hold of a copy when I bought the, yeah, bought the machine. Yeah, awesome. And the thing is... I have not had as many comments about my Mac stuff for a long time as I have since people saw this thing. <laughs> you know, they come over and go, wow, is that an original Mac? And then when I turn it on, they see that it still works. You know, they're all absolutely blown away by it. And that's kind of the, you know, even people, these, these are all people who aren't particularly into Apple or Macintosh at all. But, you know, it's kind of the impact some of these devices can have on you. It's, uh, it's not really surprising, though, because... Technology is really so pervasive in our society now that when you see something that still works from, say, the 80s or the early 90s, like a classic, yeah, it really does capture people's attention. It's like, oh, hey, I haven't seen one of those in a while. I mean, let's be honest. Those old Macs just had personality much yeah. more than the current Macs do. I like the current Macs. Don't get me wrong. But they really don't have the personality these older machines do. No, there's some, I think that with the classic Mac, there's something quite intimate about using it because the screen is so small, you can kind of pull it up close to you and you're, you're really kind of you're kind of in your work. Yep. And, and it is amazing to me how, you know, even though they're worlds apart in terms of specification and everything, um, in terms of concepts, how, uh, you know, OS, I think it's running OS 7.1 on there, um, is, is not massively different than OS 10 in terms of how it works. I mean, no. an awful lot of the things are still the same. Absolutely. You know. Mousing, saving, transferring documents. Um, a lot of the concepts are still the same that we're using today. Do you have and that? isn't it? F- Go ahead. Yeah, is, isn't it funny how it's only really this year with the iPad yeah. that um, that all of a sudden we have a, 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 a something that's close to to that in terms of size and, and performance that all of a sudden is changing the way people compute. Yeah, it is kind of surprising, isn't it? It's. Uh, I think it's a good thing though. And, of course, oh, I, I've got a lot of those machines <laughs> myself, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I keep thinking I want a, a a combination entertainment room, i.e., you know, big screen TV, blah, 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 slash Mac Museum on just, like, one wall. I, I will probably never get it, but it would still be very, very cool. It would be. The, the problem is the amount of money you have to invest 
it's, you know, guys like you and I was, wouldn't, wouldn't even think about it, but unfortunately, wives and family tend to think, you know, you want to spend how much or what? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, well... Those, those things individually are all fairly cheap, but often if they need repairing, as you were saying, they can be... Uh, it's difficult to get parts, and then actually getting everything working and laid out and set up right is... Um, but at least is, we're not t- on meth. <laughs> <laughs> not, 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 shooting a good, up. not not a good argument i find no i know <laughs> Say, well, I, know. I could do this or i could go and go and take uh, well honey at least drugs. i'm not like drinking and <laughs> taking drugs or hanging out at the casino unfortunately if you're doing those things the level of divorce risk would still be as high <laughs> <laughs> oh i don't know do you think that the level of divorce rate on uh hardcore geeks that are into video games and computers in Facebook and all that stuff is lower, the same, or higher than, say, a chronic gambler or a uh, alcoholic. Oh, well, I, I don't have any. I don't have any data really to, <laughs> to comment. But what I what I would say is is you know in my experience, any obsession, no matter what it is, bad. tends to uh, be looked on negatively by uh, the by your family and friends so um you kind of have to have to keep the balance going in order to keep everybody happy and, and rightly so you know the uh the, the computers don't give any love back last thing that we're going to talk about before we wrap up this show um as we want to do we like our ipads yeah uh, and i've said it and i'll keep saying it it's the second greatest thing apple's ever invented outside the macintosh um some people see this as a viable competitor to it the Barnes & Noble Nook Color. It's uh, based on the Android. Mm. It's a color screen, and it's $250. And really, it's a dedicated... It does a few other things. It's it's video-capable and stuff, but it's really, when you get right into it, it's just a book reader. That's really what it's all yeah. about. I don't know. It seems to me, and maybe I'm just foolish, $250 for a device that will allow me to read books on it that I have to buy just seems ridiculously expensive. I, I, I've got to admit, I don't, when I saw the announcement, I, I'm not, I wasn't really clear to me what Barnes and Noble's ultimate strategy is. I mean, they have, they're kind of bracketed between two or three different competitors. You have the Amazon Kindle, um, which is a much cheaper. Yep. Um, and then you and and obviously has certain advantages in its technology that the previous uh, Nook had in terms of using an electronic ink display, which gives extremely long battery life, um, and is very high contrast for reading books on. So um, it's it's very you know a lot of people really appreciate that. And really, I think with the current version of the Kindle, Amazon has refined the ink to the point where um, it's pretty much no compromise. I mean, it does exactly what it needs to do to offer a very good long battery life reading experience. Uh, the refresh rates and the and the kind of the um, visibility of the screen has improved with each generation. So they've got that at the low end, and then at the high end, obviously they've got the iPad that is double the price. But does so much more. It's not even as well close. As, yeah. Yeah, and and the and yeah, it's not even close. I mean, it's a full computer. Oh, and by the way, there is a Nook application, so you can read all your Nook books on there, Woo-hoo. and you can also read all your Amazon books on there, and That's you right. can read all of the Apple iBooks on there. It's so people want to keep comparing these devices, and it's really not a fair comparison. I mean, it's like no. saying, "Well, you've got a really nice pocket calculator. How does it compare to my iBook?" Well, yeah. 
can't really compare those things. No, you, you can't. But the point is, is if you're the consumer with the money in your pocket and you decide you want to get to electronic book reading, they're not dissimilar. What are you going to do? Right. You, 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 you're going to you're going to look at you're going to look at book reading and you're going to see, well, okay, I can have an iPad that can read everything and do all these other things and the apps and everything else. And maybe, maybe you don't want that. Maybe and a lot of people I think don't want that. Um, so you're going to go, okay, so um, that push the iPad out of the equation so I can have a, a nook that gives me color and has a backlit screen, but the battery only lasts 10 hours. So I'm going to be charging it every day yep. and it's $250 or I can have a, um, a Kindle that I don't need to charge very often um, has a much bigger selection of books because it's hooked into Amazon yep. um, and is half the price. Uh, I, to me, that that's pretty much a no-brainer decision there. I don't see many people choosing the Nook over the Kindle. So I, I'm just not really sure kind, kind of what Barnes & Noble really expects this device to do. It, it seems to me to me they've, they've thrown all this stuff into it without really having a plan about, about who's the customer. Do you think there's a market for low-end tech stuff still? I mean, you, you're a child of the 80s like I am. Yeah. We had computers um, more towards the end of the 80s than the beginning, but we had computers. We had electronic toys, but there was always that next class down that it wasn't the Mattel LED football game. It was some off-brand Tandy or something yeah. that was cheaper, but it you could tell it was cheaper. There was other yeah. computers, not just the Commodores or the TRS-80s or the uh, the Macs. Well, at the time, the Apple II. Um, and, and it was only $199. But you knew it was, well, it was cheap. Yeah, we talked about we talked about this a few uh, months back on the Geeky Show. And we yeah. talked about the Sony, Sony Walkman, yes, wasn't there? absolutely. You, you know, the Sony Walkman was a perfect example of that. You could buy a proper Sony Walkman and it was better engineered and it, the battery life lasted longer and it sounded better it and it had decent headphones. Yeah, and it had de- decent headphones. Or you could go down to the drugstore and you could buy something from, you know, Onkiyama. Yeah, for nineteen ninety nine. But yeah, for yeah, exactly. That that would eat your tapes, uh, and and you knew your thing basically would last you about six months, and you'd have to buy another one. But sometimes you did that because you know what? Sometimes you only had twenty dollars. You didn't have one hundred twenty dollars. That's right. And so that's what you did. Now, but the problem the problem for me is that the Nook doesn't fit within that paradigm because if it was 50 bucks or 100 bucks if it was cheaper or even the same price as the kindle then you could say okay well that's one choice over another but it's it's more expensive it's it's much the same way as you know all go back to the ipad all of these devices that are uh, on the way or are recently being released for the ipad uh, to compete notionally complete with the ipad these seven and ten inch android tablets um they're all same price. They're either the same price, or many of them are actually coming out more expensive. They all that. have less battery life. They have less screen resolution. They have less functionality. They don't run the same software, uh, and they're all. A lot of them are more expensive than the iPad. And you look at this and think, think, why are you guys even bothering bringing this to market? Because to, to me, that that should never have got off the business case page. Yeah, if you're going to compete with the <laughs> iPad, I would think you have to do it one of three ways. A, you have to be in a lot more places than the iPad, thus more customers are going to see your product. That's one. Number two, you have to be significantly less expensive for the same type of user experience. Or number three, it has to do significantly different things, i.e., you would hope better, than the iPad. 
And nothing, nothing right now that I've seen announced falls into any of those categories. No. In fact, every single review I see of those, I've seen reviews of the HP Slate that's running Windows 7, um, review of the Android device and everything. All the reviews kind of say, okay, well, this is pretty good if you don't want an iPad. And that's kind of saying, okay, well, it doesn't really compete with the iPad. But if, assuming you hate Apple so much, you never consider buying an iPad. And there are people this like is, that. There are people like that. Then this is kind of the best of the rest. Um, but that's not a mass market proposition. Not when agree. Apple's not when Apple's moving. You know, God knows how many million units <laughs> every year. Um, so, so you just again, you just wonder why why even bother going to manufacturing with this? Why not just turn around and say, you know what, we're not competing in this space. Well, David, um, I think we're probably running out of steam on this episode of uh, Tech Fan. Uh, hopefully, you'll be here next week. I think what you and I need to do is find a third person to come in next week and chat with us. Yeah. Any ideas? No. Uh, uh, Steve <laughs> yeah. Jobs. I think he's. I think he's. Um, he's not too busy at the moment. No, you know he just pisses me off every time we have him on the show. You know, <laughs> I got to call him a freaking liar, and he always brings up that Captain Crunch story with him and Waz. I'm sick of hearing it. Really, yeah. I just he needs to get some new material, right? Yeah. So come on. Yeah, we'll think about it. We'll think about it. But hey, you know, if somebody out there is listening, wants to come on the show with us sometime, send us an email, Tim at mymac dot com, and uh, we'll invite you on the show and sit down with David and I and have a nice little chat and cup of tea and have a good time. Right, David? Yep, sounds good to me. Cool. Hey, David, thanks a lot for coming on this week. I appreciate it and. for everyone out there, we'll see you guys next week.